Amen. Uh, I thought it was appropriate for us to sing this song on this day when after eight weeks off, it's been nine Sundays since we've been able to gather together. And this is clearly, I'm calling it modified worship because we want to totally respect our guidelines that we've been given by the authorities. So let me just enumerate them and you're all doing good. Uh, we will be wearing masks and um, there will be um, no moving about, no greeting. We will keep our six plus foot difference and there is an offering plate up here, and since you're all seated, if you haven't put anything in yet, I'll just say if you want to on the way out, keeping your distance, put in an offering. And I will say this, I've been very blessed that we have been having offerings mailed in. Well, now it's time for our call to worship from Psalm 84. Blessed are the men whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which means weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. Yahweh, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. For Yahweh God is a sun and shield. He bestows grace and honor. No good thing does Yahweh withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Yahweh Sabaoth, blessed is the man who trusts in thee. Now this psalm has the word grace in it, and I think it's appropriate this morning as we get to gather together to sing number 299, Amazing Grace. Amen, Lord. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I almost did the same thing. John Newton wrote a few extra verses, and I love, the Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Father, it's so good to be gathered here together to worship you and to be in your presence with each other. But the most important thing is being in your presence. And as we will see from the scripture later on, there's nothing better than fellowship with you and the fellowship with each other knowing you produces in us because we have received the grace, the great gift of your Son and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
we ask now for your presence, and we ask that we would be aware of your presence. And as we will pray together later, may we always recognize your holiness and perfection and completeness in us and be giving thanks for it with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Amen and amen. And now, uh, because we are doing modified worship, uh, take your bulletin inserts, please. And uh, we will pray this prayer of confession. I'm just going to preface this. Uh, I met on Zoom with nine other pastors this week discussing a book. And when it comes to worship, older is better. The closer we get to the apostles. Because so many contemporary prayers have no meter, have no rhythm, have no phrasing. But this prayer from the 16th century really says it all. So let us pray this prayer together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And I get to share with you all that verse from 1 John that actually has words that connect with this prayer of confession. And John wrote to Christians scattered in persecution, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just as we prayed at the end, we want to live godly and righteous. And God has given his word through the apostle. Amen. And now we're going to sing a couple of more songs. There's a chorus that's on the back of your bulletin, insert, he who began a good work in you. And then after that, we will sing 352, he hideth my soul. Amen. And now we will have the, the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading is Philippians 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, 
that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Amen. And now, uh, if we could take our Sing Joyfully song books once again and turn way, way in the back to number 626. It's the Nicene Creed. And I think it's important that we recite this frequently. I think it summarizes the whole of the truth of the Bible. And again, it's written in phrases that I hope within a year or two we'll memorize. So uh, turn to 626, and let's say together, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen, which is Hebrew, for it is true. And now uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, on this Lord's Day, we praise and thank you for the reconciliation you have provided in the sacrificial death of your Son that covers over all the sins of all who live by humble, surrendered, obedient faith in him and his work of reconciliation.
you alone are worthy of all praise. Please help us to worship you with all we have, because all we have is from you. We acknowledge now and always that you are the king, and you are always in full control of everything. This is our hope and our joy. Please help us to be examples of faith in your faithfulness to a fearful world. Fear of what is happening on earth is proof that we do not fear you as much as we should. And indeed, we do need to fear you. So on this basis, namely of who you are and what you have done in your son, we unite to petition you to unite us as your ambassadors to proclaim together the good news of what you have done in your Son, not with mere words, but also in how we live our lives as we minister to others. We pray for our leaders, our president, our governor, our elected representatives, and the appointed justices. And we pray for some cases that have been argued for them over the last couple weeks by phone. The Supreme Court, they are concerning, they are de deliberating concerning several matters of religious freedom and life. And we pray that you would lead them into the right decisions, the decisions that are for life and for religious freedom. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ the King around the world. And especially, especially, that you will work in and through even the most oppressive of rulers. And we petition for our brothers and sisters in our little cell in the great body of your son. First of all, we just pray for everyone who has been able to gather here this morning, and we thank you that we are gathered to worship you. And we pray for those who are not able to be here with us and in your presence for whatever reason they are not here. And Father, it's been a long time since I've done this, but I want to specifically Right now, pray for your presence and your touch upon Betty Ann. And Father, we pray for your word and the application of your word to all of us, in all of us, for all of us. Please, please, watch over and guide every word I speak in the proclamation, interpretation, an application of this passage from your word on this day in the world in which we are living, in the times in which we are living, may we have a takeaway that will make us more effective,
proclaimers of the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, your Son. And now, again, human prayers that originate from us can only go so far and say so much. And we thank you that in seven short petitions, our Lord and Savior has given us a perfect prayer, which we now pray in unison. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And again, I really think this is a great song to sing before we go to God's word. I love to tell the story, the wonderful story of Jesus and the good news of what he has done for all of us. Number 322. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote letters to churches in seven cities or provinces or regions of the Roman Empire. And just to refresh your memory and summarize it, here are the seven. To those in Rome, secondly, to those in Corinth, which was on the isthmus of the Achaean Peninsula, which is southern Greece. Thirdly, to churches in Galatia, which was a region that comprised most of what is now eastern Turkey. And then to those in Philippi, which was in Macedonia, which was northern Greece at the time. And then Colossae, and we went through Colossians not that long ago, that was way over again, like Ephesus. I may have forgotten that, but it was in uh, western Turkey. So Ephesus was also a region, and that should come after Galatia. That was uh, really written, as, that was the first epistle I ever preached through. It was Ephesus and the environs of up to over 100 miles in diameter, and then the last one in the canon of the New Testament are those in Thessalonica, which was in Macedonia some 50 miles from Philippi. So there's the seven, and I give these to you because I'm going to ask this question. From your reading of the New Testament, with which of the churches in these seven areas was there a close and reciprocal relationship of partnership in the deepest affections of Christ in the gospel of the Savior. Does anybody know which of those seven there was an intimate relationship with between Paul and the churches? Yes, Philippi. Amen. Um, there are five reasons in the letter itself and Every teacher I've ever had, I took a seminary course, I took a course 
in church on Wednesday nights when I was still being an actuary, they all pretty much will say these things, but for these five specific things, I have to give Gordon Fee the credit. We used his commentary in seminary, and some of you know he's one of my heroes because he is an Assembly of God ordained pastor who is an outstanding scholar who is filled with the Holy Spirit. The first reason is that they prayed for each other in the partnership of the gospel. Secondly, even when they were absent from each other, apart from each other, which was often, they shared concern with each other in their unique gospel callings. Thirdly, and at the heart of it, and this is at the very end of the letter, it was the only group of churches, those in Philippi, with which he had a giving and receiving reciprocal relationship. They gave back and forth. Fourthly, there was a mutuality in what each other was doing as they were uh, proclaiming the gospel locally, and he was going off and planting churches, but finally and most important, and this is what is unique to Christianity, and may we never forget it, they shared in the suffering and persecutions that must accompany gospel proclamation just as their Savior had said they would, and I've given you some references in Philippians, but when he was with them in the upper room, the 12 that is, he talked about this quite clearly. Now today is the first of 16 messages from this letter, and it focuses on the Messiah. There's only one Messiah, Jesus, and his gospel. And as we go through it, starting with how Paul approached the Father in his prayer from prison for his beloved partners, we will see the joy of the fellowship that God creates among those who partner together to proclaim the good news gospel of what God the Father has done through the Messiah, Savior, his Son. So, like all of the New Testament letters, this begins with a typical first century greeting to converts in Christ who are being in Philippi. So it always started with the senders, and as somebody pointed out to me once, many people have pointed this out, the problem with American letters in, in, in our day and age is, unless there's a return address on the envelope, you have to read the whole letter to find out who's talking to you. Well, they were much more polite in those days, and they said, it's from, and then they listed their name or names, and then they said who it was to. So it starts out, Paul and Timothy happened to be with them, they're identifying themselves, and the New American Standard said, as bond servants. So by calling themselves servants, Paul and Timothy are taking the role that the Savior said, Jesus said, would make them first in relation to their peers of disciples. You remember what he said, 
that who will be first, whomever will be first, must be your slave. Now, as Jesus has instructing them here, you can look up the full passage. He used the word deacon servant to describe himself in parallel with a slave servant to describe them. Both of these words have a basic meaning of helping others by being of service to them. But again, the word Paul that he used here is more than half of the time translated as a slave. We must be slaves of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, being in Philippi, together with the overseers and the ministers, and they're not separated out. What he's really saying is all of you. Now the first word here that's so important is saint. What does saint mean? Well, the word itself means holy. Saints are people who are being made holy in the Savior because they are in him through the faith that he is giving them. So here's something we must consider and never forget. All who are in Christ, truly in Christ, are being sanctified and made holy. Now, I was talking with Debbie this week. I try to really honestly and critically examine myself. I know I'm a long way from being holy as I'm supposed to be holy in God. But I can look back to how I was over 40 years ago. And I can thank God because of him, because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in his word, I'm making progression towards holiness. And if we can't answer that in the affirmative, we need to start praying. And then he uses a word here, all. And this is very important. It's from a root, and the root is pan. And I thought, how appropriate. We all know what pan means these days. We can't turn on the TV without hearing about this pandemic. Pan means all. This virus has gone over all the face of our world here today. And Paul uses this root 36 times in this letter. Okay? Now, one of the two themes of this letter is followers of Jesus, those being made holy, supporting each other. So when all the saints, those who have converted through faith in the Messiah, when they are completely united, that's one of the themes, this tremendous unity of all of the believers in Jesus. And this word all is used seven times. It wasn't always in the New American Standard. I, I couldn't find one that really translated all the words. But in this prelude of thanksgiving, before he presents his prayers of petition, which we'll look at in two weeks. And then he gives them a double blessing. So it's from Paul and Timothy to all the saints. And he says, grace to you all and peace. Now, the typical Greek greeting of blessing was grace or charis. And for Jews, it was peace or shalom. 
And by using both, Paul is doing something very significant in here. In that letter to the Ephesians, he says, because of the work of Jesus Christ, he's done the impossible. He's taken two polar opposites, Jews and people from the rest of the nations, and he has made them into one new man in Christ Jesus. So he's using the greeting for both to us. And then he says, it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come to the end of the greeting, let me tell you, this is a very important theological lesson in what we might just throw away as a simple greeting. The only source of grace and peace is Father God through the work of his Son. And notice he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. I was so moved by that, I incorporated it into our prayer. I think what we really have to learn in this world today, and maybe this virus is waking us up to it, God is the King of kings. He is the Lord. He is in charge. No one else. And we'll get more of that later. Now he goes into the true introduction to this letter, and it's his grateful prelude to prayer for the saints, for the converts, who are partnering with Paul in the gospel of grace. So his first big point is he's thanking God always in every petition on behalf of you all on your participation in the gospel. He says, I'm thanking my God on all the remembrance of you all. Every or all, it's the same root. Every time he remembers them, it causes him to have thanksgiving to God. And here is just a conclusion I've kind of drawn from this, and I think it's always true. It is a very good church when every memory that the church planter has of this church causes thanksgiving to God. Now he says, always in every petition of mine, in behalf of, and this was missing in both the NAS and the NIV, but literally says, in behalf of all of you all. Now, a petition in the first place is a prayer on behalf of other people. It is a strong plea and request to God on behalf of an individual person or persons. Now, I love this. All of you all, this is the first of four uses in our short passage. Okay? Now, it was really funny because I remember studying this in seminary, and I think it's the RSV that has this whole phrase right. And all I could think of from the beginning of the letter to the end in our first assignment was to read it through ten times in many different translations. Was Paul Southern? Or did Southern Americans pick up on the King James translation and, and how this was expressed in the letter to the Philippians. In fact, all of you all, is such a common saying, Debbie, who lived in the South for many years, 
over 15 years ago, she wrote a little story. And the heroine of her story was named Aleph Yah. Aleph, you are. And then he says, there is a strong degree of fellowship or partnership in the Holy Spirit that's uniting this church planter, Paul, with all the members of the church in Philippi because they are full partners, fully together with him in the gospel of the Lord who is the Savior King. This is the very unity Remember that our Savior prayed to his Father the night before he went to the cross. And I think we should all be reading John 17 often. And then he ends up with, y'all, again, this thanksgiving and joy, the great joy of fellowship, partnering, is because of the unity that Paul has experienced and always experienced with all the saints in Philippi as they proclaimed the gospel together. Now, I'm sure you've all heard this. Don't seek for joy. You'll never find it. But joy comes from partnering in proclamation of the gospel. That's one of the themes of Philippians. And then he says, confident, confident that God will continue your good work of partnering with me. And it's because of this that I'm having compassion, which I share with Jesus, as you're sharing with me even now about the gospel being proclaimed in prison. So he says, indeed, being confident of this. The one, the one, having begun a good work in you all, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So this confidence in God is that Paul has been persuaded by the one God concerning all of them. And God completes. I think this is a key thought. Whatever good work God begins in his people, he will complete it all the way to the end. Now we sang this as a song of worship to God this morning, right from this very verse. It is the heart of our faith in the faithful God. And let me just restate this. Whatever work he has called us to be doing, and whatever work he has begun in us, if we stay in him, he is certain to complete it in us. It's a two-way thing. We'll get to this later on in chapter 2 of this letter. And then he says, because, for it is right for me to think this on behalf of all of you all because I have you all in my heart. So his fully persuaded confidence in what the faithful one God is doing in them, it is right for him to think on behalf of all of you. It's right. So this is now the second time he said all of you all. And then he says, I'm having you all in my heart. 
So his whole soul, the way he's thinking, his mind, and his heart, it's fully involved in them. And then here's a fun part that I didn't fully realize until yesterday morning. He says, in both my imprisonments, plural, and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you all are being full partners, fellows of this grace. Again, it's a gift from God, this grace with me. Well, yes, he's in prison in Rome, and I was scratching my head, and then I said, wait a minute. We worked through the book of Acts about four or five years ago. Oh, Acts 16, yeah. The first church founded in Macedonia was Philippi. Oh, he hadn't been there but a few days when he and Silas were thrown into prison before the church even got off the ground. And then, after being beaten and, and in great pain, he and Silas are singing praise songs to God. And little known to them, there was a retired soldier who was the jailer, and he was listening to them. And then God sent an earthquake, and all the chains fell off. And because of the way the Roman military worked, the jailer was about to kill himself because he was going to be executed anyway. And Paul and Silas say, no, 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 we're all here. Well, this was such an evidence of the power and the strength and the love of God. He got them outside the prison. He fell on his knees. He said, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your family will be saved. And the whole family was baptized, and this was the beginning of the church. So the church began because Paul had been imprisoned. That's the plural imprisonment. And who would have known better than the beloved church at Philippi what was happening here? And then he says, all of you are in fellowship with me. So this is the third time he's used it. And he says, your full fellowship with me as I am defending and confirming the gospel, even as I am bound now as a Roman prisoner. That's his source of joy. And I think it's so cool. Paul's attitude here is nothing can steal my joy. The joy I have over the gospel being spread. We are partners in proclaiming this gospel. I may be in jail. I may be under lock and key. It doesn't matter. You can't steal my joy. Joy comes from partnering in proclaiming the gospel. And it will always be there if we do that. He concludes this portion God is my witness how I'm longing for all of you all in the deepest compassion, the compassion of Christ Jesus. So Paul is praying and getting ready to pray and petition because God is his witness. Everything he has prayed up to this point about his joy in their unified, mutual fellowship in proclaiming the gospel, and his confidence 
that God will complete the good work he began in them because he has them in his heart. He says, you're in my heart. Remember, in my mind. You're fellows with me in the grace. My confidence is because God is my witness. Ultimately, it's coming from God. God knows my heart. God knows what I'm doing. But also notice this strong reciprocal relationship. He says, all of my prayers are as to my lungs and desire with love for all of you all. The fourth time he uses what I'm calling this southern phrase, what modern southerners say, for the saints in Philippi that he loves as partners in the fellowship with him in the gospel. So it's all summed up in this deepest compassion that he has, the same compassion as Jesus. Now the word for this deep feeling is literally bowels. You may have heard this from teachers or preachers before. And it's a metaphor for compassion and love that is so deep it can be expressed by this figure of speech. I have a gut level love and compassion for you, deep, deep, deep inside of me. Now, let me get a little personal here, and uh, maybe I'm overstating it, but that's kind of how I am. But I think we're all experiencing this gut-level feeling of love this morning, because for eight weeks prior to this, we've not been able to worship together face-to-face. -face. I haven't seen so many of you all in a long time here. And I think we've all been missing this privilege of worshiping together. Worshiping together is much deeper than worshiping alone. And I think it is safe to say that because we've been separated, we've all been hurt to one degree or another. I know it has deeply hurt me, this enforced quarantine due to COVID-19. We've all been longing for each other because we're fellow sharers of the grace of God and Jesus Christ, and we want to get together to worship God and to thank him for his grace and what he's done. And what Paul is saying here to this particular church is true of all followers of Jesus Christ. We long for our fellow sharers of grace with the compassion of Christ himself. So the bottom line of Paul's thankful prelude of prayer for all of the saints in Philippi, it's this. Joy is the result or the fruit that happens when all who are being made holy in Christ partner together in proclaiming the gospel in both words and deeds. So here's our application this morning. As we have more opportunity in the days ahead, let us pray that we too will partner together to proclaim the good news. The good news that we are in a reconciled relationship with the God of love. Not because of anything we've done, but because we have faith in the work which Jesus Christ our Savior did for us what he did for us primarily on the cross and in the empty tomb. And we missed our Good Friday and Easter together this year. 
Now it's one thing for us to know this in our heart and mind. And I've known this for a long time. But it's another thing, and I admit, I still struggle with this. I've always wanted to do this, but it's hard to actually do this as a lifestyle by my words and my deeds both together. But we need to have a lifestyle of being led by the Holy Spirit. And this is the only way we will receive joy as a gift. But if we do proclaim the gospel of the Savior in both our words and our deeds and how we minister to other people, and if we do it supporting each other, encouraging each other, and together, we'll find this truth that Paul expresses in this passage. Joy comes from partnering and proclaiming the gospel. So let's wrap it up quickly. The church planning apostle Paul is approaching the Father on behalf of those being made holy in the Savior King in Philippi with a longing for all of them in a compassion in his gut just as the King Jesus has. And he does this because they have always partnered with him in the defense and confirmation, which is the proclamation of the gospel. And even though he is now in prison in Rome, and he's thankful with joy that the Father will complete this good work he began in them until the day of the Savior came. And as long as Paul was alive and as long as this church lasted, they had joy from partnering in proclaiming the gospel. And I asked Debbie if she could lead us in this song because I think in light of what we've heard, let's sing together this song, Pass It On. Once you really know God's love in Christ, you want to pass it on. 503. Amen. Uh, you know, that's a little overly sentimental, but, um, you know, we dwelt in Acts for a while this morning, and I remember preaching through it. There was one summary paragraph that Luke gave that I think wraps this all up, and it talks about five characteristics of true followers of Jesus. So when Saul Paul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brethren knew it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. And at the heart of all of that, 
is a fear of God which moves us to obedient faith. Amen.